Titus O'Reilly here, once again annoying you with our shameless plug for Bazaar, plus our membership program, More Mick and Me. Simply go to the link in the show notes. It's Sports Bazaar. A trophy called the America's Cup. Come and get it. Come and get if it. If you think you're good enough. The hunt for the weirdest. It sounds like you're not doing your research. It does sound like that. <laughs> the problem is I have done it and don't understand it. <laughs> Strangest. Designed this ship to comfortably house a cow. Oh, stop it. Cow out the back. Most unbelievable. They launch him across the street by spraying him with the high-pressure hose. Stories to ever occur. Listed in the Guinness Book of World Records for the greatest ever photo. In the world of sport. He actually popularised Gordon as a first name. Which is a tough job. Tough. Sports Bazaar. When the boat sailed, the crew was still nailing down her deck. <laughs> Travelled with five dogs, a cat, a lemur, a raccoon, and a monkey called Peggy. And the monkey knew how to sail. They're pirates. So they're pirates. We're getting to... Oh, jeez. It's time for the leaders of the hunt. This is a spa meeting, Mick. Grab your togs. It's Titus O'Reilly and Mick Malloy. Welcome to the latest episode of Sports Bazaar with my good self, me, Mick Malloy, and Titus O'Reilly, who's bringing to the table something special for the month of September. Yes. Uh, do tell, I'm all ears, what do you got planned? Well, it's September, it's 2023, we're recording this, and it will be in this month the 40th anniversary of Australia winning the 1983 America's Cup. Okay. And we are going to all September be looking at the history of the America's Cup and the lead up to that 1983 event. And it's hard if you're under 40, it's really hard to understand how big a moment that was. I have had this discussion, what are the biggest moments in Australian sport that you can remember? And I can go Cathy Freeman at the 2000 Olympics. Olympics. Maybe some horse racing, a couple of Maccabi Divas or Farlap back in the day. But I, I can't think of any... Day or event that galvanised this nation like the final race of the America's Cup in 1983. Yeah. Which had us all out of bed early, all gathered around the TV. Yeah. And it was pandemonium. It was. I mean, this is where famously Bob Hawke got up and said, any boss that sacks a worker today for not showing up is a bum. Is a bum. He put a jacket on over another jacket. (laughs) At one point in the morning, he was wearing two jackets. Yeah, yeah, that famous Australia jacket. And, yeah. And you've gotten the story, you got Alan Bond, and we're going to get to that. That's not what we're going to do in this episode. Today we're going to really go back to why was it such a big deal. So, you've got Alan Bond, you've got Ben Lexon, you've yeah. got John Bertram. John Bertram. There's so much to cover you've here. You've got Bob Hawke. You've got a wing keel. Yeah. You've got a stuffy New York uh, yacht club. You've exactly. got a, You've got a villain. In Dennis, Dennis Connor. Connor. Yeah. It's just an epic tale. When I looked at this was the 40th anniversary, I thought, well, on top of that, let's go back into the history of it because it's the longest ever winning streak. The New York Yacht Club retaining the America's Cup was the longest ever sporting streak. So Australia ended. Yes. It went for over 130 years. They True or false the that the Cup was actually bolted. It was actually bolted down in there. Yacht club because they'd had it for so So long. long. They had a plinth and they had the cup and it was bolted down because no one ever won it, right? They won it for 130 years in a row. They did not anticipate losing it. So they did not and it was just unimaginable to the Americans. Many others had tried and it's the many others that have tried that we're going to start with today and we're going to build up over the month of September to the 983 one. 
it also was this period where Australia was, it was the 80s. Australia was coming into sort of boom times. It was just starting, yes. the boom of the 80s. You had people like Alan Bond and Scase, all these oh, amazing wow. entrepreneurs who have yes. come a cropper, but this is before they come a cropper. Edelstons. of the world, the John Elliott's. The, pink Lamborghinis and all yeah, this stuff. And, like Alan Bond had a spa in his office. I mean, this is the the 80s excess. So if now you love, I've got, now I've got a visual image of Alan Bond in a spa. In his I can office. see you and I having meetings in a spa. This is a spa meeting, Mick. Grab your togs. Who's slated for this meeting? Jeez, <laughs> uh, we're going to build up to that. But then became a sea change because after we won it. It then became open slather. It's never been the same again. Never since been the same. New Zealand's won it. Landlocked countries have won this thing. It's Yeah, you know, now it's in it, these catamarans. It bounces around. It, exactly. In the catamarans. It's, it's totally different Who now. Knew? It blew up the existing thing. Yeah. So, But to really understand that, we're going to go right back to the start because to make that 83 victory, yes. which is in itself an, like a hilarious and funny and amazing story, to get to that, even if you were alive in 1983, I don't think everyone even then got what had happened because it is literally to use a sailing it's a sea change it's yeah. an absolute amazing moment so we're going to go right back to the 1840s today right so we're going way back the mid-1800s has delivered it to us still. in many fields <laughs> boxing badminton table yeah. tennis everything we turn to yeah has its kind of origin story around the mid-1800s oh, and the characters always yeah this might be like four or five episodes we're going to build up to the 83 one, you know, like the, you know, yeah. including the 83. So this September we're going to be we're going to give you a lot of stuff on this and we're going to go right back because there are so many characters we're going to get into on this trip through time. Yes. It's going to go off on tangents. It's going to be crazy. So Can everyone buckle in. So we're going to have fun this September. So we're going to go back to the 1840s in New York. You know, you remember that's not that long after they've separated from England, right? Yes. There, there's still tension between them and England. America is a very new country. And the old sort of the mercantile class of New York, the people that are making the money, a lot of them are in the clipper trade. So the clippers are the very fast sure. ships. They prioritize speed over amount of cargo they can carry, things like this. Yeah. Their idea is they can get somewhere and get back fast. And this is where... The Los Angeles Clippers in the NBA, this is what they're named after, these fast ships. These Clippers, because they're fast and they're often doing things like running fresh fruit and fish and things tea? like that, things you need, tea? yeah, the tea, the opium trade and the tea trade with oh, China, it's where you want to pick stuff up and get it back over pretty sure. quick. How big are these things? Anything from 90 to 100 feet, so you're sort of getting up to sort of 30 yeah. metres long, sure. like big. Yeah. Big, long, thin ships, right? There's a, so many nautical things in the America's Cup story we're going to tell. I'm not going to get into all of them because it is, one, I don't pretend to understand all of them. I've read up <laughs> a lot on ship design over the last few months. Yes. You could get into the weeds of ship design and it would be like a, we'd be doing 40 episodes and most people wouldn't understand it, including you and I. Sounds like you're not doing your research. It does sound like that. And <laughs> the problem is I have done it and don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> There's what, a big what, difference. What's a sloop? That's down the track. So, so we're still in the Clipper, Clipper era? Yeah, we're in the Clipper era. They're so pirates. So they're pirates? We're getting to oh, smugglers geez. and all really? sorts. Of, yeah, yeah. we oh, get to oh, smugglers oh. and all sorts of things. So many of these Clippers, because they're very fast, their owners who own them, they don't necessarily sail them, but they race them. 
who can be the fastest is very interesting. And they're doing it in the New York Harbor. And they often will get on them too and and race on the day right. in them, right? But they're very rich. Yes. So they own these big ships. They cost a lot to make. Sure. But they're business ships. They're, for, they're trade. Own for practical purposes. Yeah, they're owned for practical purposes. But they're fun to race because they're built to be fast. And so on the 30th of July, 1844, it's five o'clock in the afternoon, yes. on the schooner yacht, the Gimrack, which is owned by a guy called John C. Stevens. It's a huge yacht. Nine men meet to set up a club. And the club is the New York Yacht Club. Wow. Now, this will become the club that will oversee the America's Cup. The most famous yacht club. And retain it for a long time. Most famous one of all time. And we'll get into yeah. the history of them as we go through this. Because sure. the people who have been members of the New York Yacht Club, it's the who's who of American wealth. These are the type of people who went Vander- down on the Titanic. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, the, the Vanderbilts, the one the of their son, Van, oh, okay. it's the Vanderbilts, it's the J.P. Morgans, it's yeah. the you know these are the these are the titans of industry, yeah. famous people. We'll run through a list at some point because it gets pretty wild Fantastic. who's involved. But these guys set this up. The very next day, they go for a cruise together and a bit of a race. It's the first ever race. John C. Stevens, he's the driving force behind the club. It's on his yacht. These yachts are all luxurious. So even though they're racing yachts, they're kitted sure. out, right? Yeah. John C. Stevens is the driving force behind the club and he's instantly, he suggests it and he's voted Commodore. And he's from a very well-known family. All the guys that are setting this up are from well-known. His grandfather was a member of the Continental Congress that was formed to get away from the British to fight the Revolutionary yes. War. His father was a Revolutionary War colonel and then became an entrepreneur and was an inventor of steam engines and boats. So these guys are like the cutting edge. These are doers, right? John C. Stevens, he's got two younger brothers, Robert and Edwin. Now, they were just as competitive as him too. So they're all rich. They were known as being massive gamblers. Okay. So they're all from a rich family. Their grandfather was prestigious. Their father had made a lot of money in steam engines. And then they had come along. They would gamble excessively, the bo- three boys. Second generation wealth. Yeah. Before a horse race in 1823, the three of them all bet all the cash they had on them, their diamond stick pins. <laughs> you know when clothing you is You know when the, you start just chucking stuff on the table. Yeah. Their gold watches <laughs> on a horse called Eclipse. It was a match against a southern horse called Sir Harry. And Eclipse won by a nose and they all became massively rich and John later became president of the jockey club. So that's the sort of guys they are all like. Right. They love sport and competition and gambling. Right. right. So Edwin and Robert, the two younger brothers, these are all smart guys. So John, the first Commodore, he was into designing new steam engines for boats. Very clever guy, making a lot of money. So even yes. though they're sort of wealthy kids... They're also very bright okay. engineering types and make a lot of money themselves. They're not like the they're third. They're not the third generation that loses no, no, the ones. They're the so ones. Right. They're the ones that build it. His two brothers actually build the first ever ironclad naval vessel, which they sell the design to the navy and build one, and it becomes the first ever groundwork for a modern armored warship. Here so these guys are on the real cutting edge. Take it back, yeah. John C. Stevens, he graduates from Columbian University and he runs this steam ferry business which is huge and designs a lot of the stuff. He also forms the Union Club, which is the one of the most oldest and exclusive gentlemen's clubs in New York, still around to this day. 
um, that goes on to become famous, and he's starting the New York Yacht Club. He also introduces cricket into America. Fantastic. He also loves baseball. He b- builds a baseball diamond on his grounds and says, any club is free to come and play here. <laughs> so they've got lots of money and they love having fun with it, right? Build They're it all... and they will come. Yep. He buys the New York Yacht Club its first ever clubhouse in New Jersey right on the water. So he just buys it for yes. them and goes, there you go. They've got this yacht club. They're racing around New York. Now, New York in the 1850s, New York's changing. It's starting to become more a financial mecca and less right. of a harbour trade cargo sort of one. Yep. And so the New York Yacht Club at this point could have just gone away completely, they reckon. But what happens in 1851, they get word that a big race is happening in England. A bunch of people are discussing. An English merchant comes over and says to a few of these businessmen, there's going to be a great exhibition in 1851 in London. And it's organised by Prince Albert, who's the consort of Queen Victoria. And the whole idea is it's an exhibition to show of how great the British are at technology and all these sort of things, <laughs> right? Yep. It was a huge event at the time. Word gets back and they say, well, that'd be interesting. We'd love to come over for that to England after this chat. And the Earl of Winton, who's the Commodore of the Royal Yacht Squadron, he hears about this new uh, club over there, the New York Yacht Club, and sends them a letter and says, why don't you come over and enjoy our facilities, come over and compete in some of the regattas, we'll have a lovely time, celebrate Prince Alfred's idea and, sure. and Queen Victoria. Why don't you come over and compete over here and bring one of your, your boats? The British are <laughs> lords of the sea. They think... Yeah, well, These Americans got no idea. Yeah, like, naval history naval is impeccable. Yeah. They've just fought the Napoleonic yeah. Wars, right? They're like... Flying high. They're like, yeah, come over. Come and, over. Come we'll over how it works. But America and England are not great friends at this point, you've got to remember. So this is sort of a bit of a thawing of relations because yeah. America is not within this generation. The, the guys that are going to come over and race boats over there, their dads fought in the Revolutionary War. So sure. it's not a friend. Still a bit raw. Still a bit, <laughs> a bit of an old wound, right? <laughs> John Stevens is the Commodore. He forms a thing with six other guys and he says, let's build a yacht with the intention of going over there to England and showing them how good we actually are. They're like the Winklevosses. <laughs> they are. <laughs> they are. So, so he says, let's get to do it. So he brings together his brother joins, one of his brothers, a guy called Colonel James A. Hamilton. We'll get to him. His son-in-law, George Schuyler. We'll go into all of these. Another guy, Hamilton Wilkes, um, and a non-yachtsman called John K. Beekman Finlay. Now, all these guys are kind of amazing. John K. Beekman Finlay. Now, he's the nephew of a guy called John Beekman. He was a partner of John Jacob Astor, who, you know, Astor you've heard of. Most people would who earned the Astor theatres. You've got hotels. Now, Astor made his money in the beaver trade, the fur trade. (laughs) That's how he made his money. He's a beaver man. He was a beaver man. (laughs) It's a beaver mogul. <laughs> but Beekman went into partnership with him. They built the Park Theatre in New York. That's still there. Yeah, that's still there. And then describing John wow. Beekman, John Beekman was described as one of the owners of the 19th century's most premier wine collections. <laughs> right? So he was this kind of guy. Now, he had an unhappy life later on because he was stricken with a digestive problem that meant he couldn't drink his beloved wines. Oh, that's a, this world is cruel. It's cruel, right? So he had the greatest wine collection and, in a, in the world almost. It. He couldn't drink it, right? It's worse yeah. than not having the world's greatest wine collection. He did not take it well. <laughs> <laughs> it was said he became a grim wine miser. 
who refused even a sip to his relatives and friends. <laughs> if I can't have it, no, no one. No one. You're not having it. it. So he wouldn't give anyone any of his wine. So what did he do with it? Just he, there. he dies and he leaves it to his nephew, John K. Beekman Finlay, who's the guy who's joined this syndicate, right? He's a young guy. He inherits his fortune. This is Finlay. He inherits his fortune and his wine collection, which hasn't been touched for years. Oh, it's good to go. And it was said that Finlay lost little time pulling corks at such a clip <laughs> that it made him one of the most popular hosts of his day. I love so, a happy so Finlay's not into sailing, but when, when Stevens contacts him and says, we're building this syndicate to take a boat to race the British, are you interested? And he's like got all this wine and money. He goes, yeah, sure, I'll put in. So they're all putting in money in to build this boat. James A. Hamilton, who's the other, another member yeah. of the syndicate, he's the son of Alexander Hamilton of Hamilton the Musical okay. Fame. So he is, his dad was vice president. Right. So he is American royalty, goes Connected. on to become acting Secretary of State, goes on to become an advisor to all the top American statesmen of the next 50 years. So he's part of it. His son-in-law, George L. Shuler, who becomes very important for the America's Cup, they get along very well. But he's also the son of General Philip John Shiler, who's a revolutionary famous soldier. And he or himself, George, owns steamboat lines and railways and he's rich in his own right. So he's not like the loser son-in-law. He's a very successful son We're not talking about the idle rich here. We're talking they're, about... They're the act of rich, yeah. right? This is, this is the American can-do era of all sure. that. They believe that their style of boats, which are New York pilot boats, would could be very competitive against the British because these boats, which are 80 to 100 foot long, have a reputation for speed because in their line of work, they are literally the ones that guide the ships into the harbour, you know, the pilot ships. Yeah. The way the system works is the first to get to the ship gets the job. So you have to outrace every time the other pilot ships to get the job. So they're kind of having a race every day at work. Like tow trucks. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like whoever's there first, yep, speed is all that matters. Yeah. So they're used to building very fast boats. So the syndicate says, great, we'll go to the guy who, there's a guy called George Steers who builds the fastest boats and they go, whatever money you need, build us the fastest boat you can imagine, Fantastic. which he does. And it's christened America is the name of the boat. Um, it's launched on the 3rd of May, 1851, at the equivalent of about a million dollars today to build, right? $30,000 at the time. It's day. an ambitious project. Let's call it America. Yeah. Bang. It's a schooner, which is a ship that basically has two or more masts, so it's not a single mast ship, and it's got multiple sails fore and aft at the back end, the front, basically. We're not going to get into all the details. Now, when you think of a racing yacht now, you think of like a racing car that's stripped down to the bare minimum of weight totally. and like yeah, that. Yeah. These yachts were not like that. These <laughs> yachts were luxury yachts as well as being very fast. Right. So they're not they're big, huge yachts. They can fit twenty people on them as crew. Yeah. They can carry you in comfort. The America, the yacht had a four cabin that was huge, and it was the size of an apartment. On each side, it had China rooms. <laughs> right had another room where it had then it had two large state rooms next to that had wardrobes and water closets attached a cellar a cellar yeah, absolutely <laughs> had a cellar they're going to get into that 
Uh, then at the front, it had a whole nother two staterooms and they had washrooms, pantries, cabins. It could have another 15 crew up the front. So you were talking about absolute luxury, yeah, right? Like brilliant. it is. According to the customer of the times, it said she carried a stock of liquor for regular consumption. Like, so it's not, <laughs> it's not light, right? Yeah. They also hire a guy called Captain Richard Brown to f- be the captain because he is the fastest of the pilots that right. works in New York Harbor. So they have this guy. they got this fast ship with the fastest captain. They mean captain. business. They mean business, right? He'd gone from Brown was a poor man who just became so good at racing boats that he just finds his career just going up and up and up all the time, right? So he puts together his crew and they set off for France. Uh, on the way to England. Now, they stop in France for two reasons. One, they need to re-rig after the trip across the Atlantic, which is still a very harrowing trip at this point in time. They decide to dock in France and refit. So basically make sure everything's in top notch. And they want to do that. Yeah, and they want to do that away from the prying eyes of the English. They don't want to do that in an English harbour. The games have begun. The games have begun, right? They don't want them to see the design of the ship because they're going into a dry dock. They don't want them to see that. So they're already playing around. <laughs> Are with... the English taking this as seriously? They just assume, the English they're just assume gonna... they're going to win, yeah. right? They're not even thinking of uh, the, uh, this ship coming over. Is they're sitting around doing some snuff. Yeah. They, they, this will uh, be a yeah. doddle. Exactly. James Hamilton explains that the other reason they stopped in France is, in, and this is a direct quote, in Paris we took means to obtain the best wines and all other luxuries to enable us to entertain our guests in the most sumptuous manner. <laughs> <laughs> they you know this is not yeah. a normal sort of thing <laughs> it's not normal but, so then they leave france they sail over to britain and they end up in the solent which is you know the the strait between the isle of wight and the mainland of britain and as they arrive there a ship called the Laverock, a British ship, sees them and decides to engage them in an impromptu race. Like at the traffic lights. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh, gosh. So it sees that this American what ship you got showing under up. The bonnet? Yep, and it's like, let's show you how to race. So they start racing. Now, the America has got French wine, beef, pork, bread, <laughs> extra sales, everything. It's not rigged for racing yeah. and it's carrying everything. The idea is they get to England, they offload all that stuff, lighten the ship, then race. They race and they win. America wins easily, even with all this stuff on it. Wow. The Lavrock returns to cows in the Isle of Wight, which is where this regatta is going to be, and they talk and they say, Watch out. this American boat actually belted us. So they show up and Stevens, the Commodore, is going, right, we need to start having some races and starts to try to set up races. The word goes out, no British ship will race him. So the race come all the way over from Why America because they, they think it's too fast. They've all heard what happened. That is craven. So they all won't race him. So he says, "Let's make it a sum. Anyone that can beat our ship, it's ten thousand guineas, which is the equivalent of about a million dollars today." So he says, "Million dollar bet if you beat us." No one takes him up. So he's just sitting there I'm off the, the Isle of Wight, waiting. The ship doesn't look like the British ships. It's sleeker. It's got different types of sails. We'll get into some of the differences, yes. but it looks nothing like the other ships. So it's attracting enormous amount of interest from the British. They're all looking at it going, what is this? A rumour starts that it must have a propeller, that they, <laughs> that the Americans must be doing something sneaky. Um, and that's also why they won't race it because they think something dodgy is going on here. It's just not possible. American design ship that looks like that, like nothing like our ships could beat us. 
Because the British have ruled the wave for 300 plus years at this stage, right? Like not since the Spanish and the Portuguese yeah. empires collapsed as anyone come close to them. The Illustrated London News writes, as a model she is artistic, although rather a violation of the established ideas of naval architecture. Oh, they can't believe it. Now, while no one will race them, they are welcomed with open arms by the yacht club because the yacht club are all rich aristocracy. Yes. And they sort of welcome them. They see that they've got all the best French wine, so they're quite <laughs> happy to hang out with more them. More welcome. So the Americans come ashore in cows and there's officers and senior members of the Royal Yacht Squadron meeting them. Now, one of them is one of my favourite characters, the Marquess of Anglesey. He's 83 years old yep. and he greets them. He's been a member of the squadron since 1815. He comes aboard the America and looks around. Now, he is an amazing guy. He distinguished himself when he was a younger man as a cavalry commander, mainly in the wars against Napoleon. Yes. So he goes back a bit, right? So in 1815, during that 100 days of Napoleon, he led a charge of the heavy cavalry at the Battle of Waterloo. It's a famous military of charge, course. right? Yeah. One of the last cannon shots fired on that day hit him in his right leg, this is the Marquis of Anglesey which subsequently had to be amputated. Legend has it the Duke of Wellington, just, yes. you know, who won the Battle of Waterloo against Napoleon, was close by at the time and Marquess said, by God, sir, I've lost my leg. And Wellington <laughs> replied, by God, sir, so you have. <laughs> what a polite exchange. Very English, you know. Uh, Even more amazingly is this was amazing that these two were together and fighting together because in 1809, the Marquess had scandalously eloped with Lady Charlotte Cadogan, who was at the time the wife of Henry Wellesley, who was the Duke of Wellington's younger brother. Oh, it's all happening. <laughs> it's all happening up the top end. So there was a lot going on here. Apparently during the amputation of his leg, the Marquess said, I've had a pretty, he smiled while it was being, his leg was being amputated and said, I've had a pretty long run. I've been a bow for 47 years and it would not be fair to cut the young men out any longer. <laughs> He's had a good run. Now, his amputated right leg gets taken away. Oh, so the leg is now on tour. And at the village of Waterloo in Belgium, where it's been removed, it's in turn there, the bones, and becomes a tourist attraction because his charge <laughs> is famous, right? And the yeah. fact that this is his leg, he becomes famous. And the, so unbeknownst to him. You never thought to ask for it back? Or no, um, well, unbeknownst to him, it ends up on display in, as because people come and tour Waterloo as a site within months of the – this is where Napoleon fell. Yeah. So his leg is a tourist attraction without his knowledge, <laughs> right? <laughs> it gets weirder. So it attracts all these sort of tourists from European society. The King of Prussia and the Prince of Orange come to visit it and see the leg. They're not coming there to see They're the They're coming leg. to They're, see Waterloo, but then but they hear his legs they're there. they swing by the leg. They swing by the leg. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Right, and it's a the guy who owns it. It's a <laughs> is a Monsieur Paris is his name. He and his descendants all the way down to eighteen seventy eight. They charge to see the leg. Right, Do they take the leg on tour. Does no, it, it's just sitting in this village. So people come to see the Waterloo, but then they come to see the leg and they pay, and it's a nice earner for him. Right up to eighteen seventy eight, <laughs> when a minor diplomatic incident breaks out, yes. the Marquess's son visits Waterloo, hears about this and finds the bones aren't buried, but they're on open display. <laughs> <laughs> and he complains, the Belgium ambassador in London, he comes in and finds out that 
what had happened is a storm had knocked over a willow tree, which had revealed the leg, right, which had been buried. They decided to put it on display and charge money to see it. That sounds like bullshit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just... Yeah. So he demands that uh, the English ambassador says, we want the leg bones back. <laughs> I see another war coming on. The Belgians say no, but they say we will make sure they're buried properly. They're not reburied. <laughs> Instead, they're kept hidden. In 1934, this is a long <laughs> time thing. after, the last ever Monsieur Paris dies in Brussels, right? right? This line of people who've owned his legs since then. His widow finds them in the study, the bones, with a note documenting their provenance. And she's so horrified by the thought of the scandal, she incinerates them in her central heating furnace. Oh, good Lord. So that's all to come. What an undignified end to for, his leg. For a truly famous yeah. leg. Now, the Marquess, he's unaware this is all going on in the future, right? So he, after the Battle of Waterloo, he's appointed the Marquess of Anglesey, given the Knights Grand Cross and the Order of Bath, and it's basically forgotten that he ran away with the Duke of Wellington's They move on youngest, quickly. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't care. So no he's a keen sailor, the Marquess. And so he took a great interest in the America, the yacht that's shown up. He's yeah. looking at the America. He's taking it seriously. Yeah, because he thinks it's an amazing design. He's very he's, he suspects there's a propeller. But he's <laughs> a propeller. But he's very into ship design because he'd always looked into sailing technology. When after the wars were open, the Marquess was a bit like it's a bit boring this uh peacetime. So he yeah. took up sailing because sure. he found it exciting, right? At that time, he was always interested in what's the fastest ship. And he found out that the fastest ship was a ship called the Cutter. Now, the ship... I've heard of the ship. You would have heard of the Cutter. Now, the Cutter comes from Essex, the Colne River there. It's where the best yachting skippers and sailors at the time came from. The Cutter was designed to be just a very fast boat, much like the pilot boats in New York are designed purely for speed. This is 30 years before the New York boat. The most notable men who designed them, there was a guy who was the best at designing the Cutters, which is a guy called Philip Sainty. Now, Sainty was a... He built these fast boats. He built fruit schooners and fishing boats that needed to have their perishable cargoes get to market very fast. He also built fast revenue cutters, which were the ones that were able, the government ships that chased and down and caught smugglers. So St. He's building these these boats. He's building sports cars. He's building rockets. Yeah, this is the finest technology of the time, right, pushing the edge, right? So for the government are paying him to build them these really fast ships that would catch the smugglers and stop them being able to smuggle so they could tax them, right? Yeah. As a sideline, he also built very fast boats for the smugglers. (laughs) Jesus. Of course he did. So he's building the ships to catch the smugglers and he's building ships for the smugglers. These are always the smartest guys, right? So he's making money hand over fist, right? Eventually he's caught and incarcerated and he's in prison, partly for smuggling and also for bigamy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the Marquess of Anglesey at the time, this is long before America shows up, the boat America. He's looking at a way to beat the Duke of York in yacht races. Okay. And he asks around what's the fastest ship designer and people say, it's Sainty, you've got to go and find this guy, Sainty. And so he says, okay, I'll go and find Philip Sainty. Finds out he's in prison. So he comes to Philip Sainty and says, could you build me the fastest ship that I could beat the Duke of York? While he's in jail. The guy's in jail. He says, I could if you could get me out of jail. 
So the Marquess said, I think I can get you out of jail. Philip Sainty being really smart is, you know, he's playing all into the yeah. system. He says, my brother and cousin are also in jail and I'd probably need to get them out. They know a lot of trade secrets. Oh, this is a hard deal. So the Marquess says, fine, basically gets them out of prison by using his influence but also just paying all their fines. Sure. But he doesn't care. He just wants the fastest yeah. ship. They then go and build a, a cutter called Pearl, which outraced everything that challenged her and sets the standard for British yacht design for the next 20, okay. 30 years, right? So this is the Marcus is looking at the America. That's his background. He's looking at the ship, the America, and he's going, this America is like what my ship, the Pearl, was 30 years ago. Yeah. This America, I think, is going to like... He can see it. He can see it. Yeah. No one's racing her, remember? No one will race her. So what? it's a bit embarrassing for the Royal Yacht Squadron that she's come all the way over yeah, here. Yeah, you invited it. So they have an annual members-only regatta. On the 22nd of August, Queen Victoria has donated the prize and they decide we're going to make a special provision that it's open to members of all nations. We're going to let America race in this regatta. So it's not a one-on-one -on -one race. It's a fleet yeah, racing. Sure. So the Americans say, great. We'll race in that. It's called the 100 Guineas Cup. 18 yachts enter, 15 manage to start. And America starts this race. It's around the Isle of Wight. Sure. It's going to be like a whole day's racing. But 98 kilometres it is. So America has a slow start. Its anchor won't work properly. It can't get off its anchor. Right. So it's behind everyone. But within half an hour, it's in fifth place and it's gaining. Right? They have are used to racing close to rocks and everything in New York Harbour. So they're going far closer to the rocks and the shore, oh, cutting yeah. off distance yeah. to the British. But also it's a very fast ship. And suddenly it doesn't take long, but they're in the lead. And everyone's like, this ship is amazing. They pass the Royal Yacht, which is the a huge yacht. It's like the length of an Australian rules football field. Like it's massive, <laughs> which is the it's called the Victoria now, but we, and it has Queen Victoria on board. I love it. And she's watching as the America passes in the lead. And they, not gonna go well. they dip their ensign in respect and they doff their hats as they pass. <laughs> right? <laughs> Another yacht, the Aurora, that closes in, but it's still 18 minutes behind when the America crosses the line at 6 p.m. winning this race. Here we go. Legend has it that while watching the race, Queen Victoria, as the America crossed, asks who was second and a dejected old salt sailor near her says, there is no second, Your Majesty. Uh, Meaning, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We've been cooked. America has won. The Marquess of Anglesey is so amazed by America's performance. He hurries on board after the race, and he's determined to see if there's a propeller. Find the propeller. And he leans over the edge and almost falls. Except for Stevens, the American Commodore, he captures him on his good leg and stops him falling into the water. And the Marquess says. There's no propeller. This is just an amazing Zip. ship. You've you've destroyed us. Everyone is amazed by this. The Queen Victoria asks, can I come on the ship? And she's like young at sure. this stage. She says, can I come on the ship and have a look? And they say, absolutely. So she comes in, she looks around, and she's not interested in propellers or ship designs or anything. She goes down to the galley, the kitchen, takes off her glove, and she rubs her finger along one of the shelves and looks in and goes, no dust. This is an incredibly clean ship. I'm incredibly <laughs> impressed. <laughs> so uh, she issues every member of the crew a gold sovereign and she gives the skipper a gold watch to say, well done. Well done. How good is that? Now the syndicate are so thrilled with this 
and the America's put in a dry dock. Everyone can see there's no propeller. So propeller, they've hoisted the skirt. Yeah, and everyone the is – the English shipbuilders are like, this design has shown us that we're old-fashioned in our thinking yeah. and we need to compete with you on a, on a better way. Mm. One of the builders from England said that the hull was perfection and most of it, though, was the cut and material of the sails. In England, the sails are handmade. They're those billowy big sails. Right. The American sails are machine-made. Yes. They're a completely different type of fabric, really tight, like modern. You know how modern sail? They're like a, they're like a board, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. This is what these were like. This is where that started. So they suddenly realized. Now, John Stevens and the New York Syndicate, 10 days after the regatta to show you how proud they are of the ship, the America, they just sell it to one of the English straight away. The boat. <laughs> they just sell the boat. They keep it for 10 days and go, yep, we'll sell it. Someone what? makes an offer and they sell it. There's no sort of, you know, nostalgia for it it's, or no. it's like gone. So 10 days after. So they've only owned it for about six months from when it was built to when they sailed very it. Very mercenary. From very the mercenary. So they sell it. The ship itself then has a fascinating history. It then just goes on to like be sold amongst a few different English owners. Finally, it ends up back. A guy buys it in America, Henry Sotheby Pitcher. He rebuilds it a bit. He then sells it again to another American guy called Decky. And he sells the ship to the Confederate States of America. And it, it is a blockade runner in the Civil War. There you go. It's then captured by the Union Army and used as a blockade enforcer in the Civil War. <laughs> it then becomes a training ship for the United States Naval Academy. It's renamed the America. It's had name changes and all this. And it was kept in the American Navy up until 1942 when it was housed in a shed which snow and a heavy snowstorm collapsed the roof on top of it. And it was eventually scrapped and burned in 1945. So it's go. the most famous one ever. The New York Yacht Club acquired several relics from America after a destruction. They're like, uh, there was an eagle, that metal eagle it had on it, the rudder post and all that sort of stuff. So that's like the yeah. America. So what they are given is a trophy that they win. Now this trophy is ornate sterling silver. And it was designed in 1848 by Garrett and Co. And it is what is the America's Cup. What we see today. What we see today. So it was built in 1848. It's sterling silver. And that they've been given at the syndicate for winning this race in, in, in England. Now, Garrett and Co., they're the most important crown jewelers of all time to the monarchy. They've done all the crowns and all that sort of stuff. They exist to today. They're also created some of the world's most illustrious sporting trophies. So they've done the America's Cup, which this is, the ICC Cricket World Cup trophy they designed, sure. the Premier League trophy, and a lot <laughs> okay. of the Royal Ascot trophies are all done by that. Yes. They cut the famous Koh-i-Noor diamond that the British had stolen from India, and they also produced the prop necklace, the heart of the ocean for the Titanic. <laughs> okay. So they've built all of those. Gotcha. This trophy is now in the possession of the syndicate from that race the, the, the original the queen, the American. queen victoria donated that, that to trophy. whoever won gave that trophy right it's not the america's cup yet it's called the hundred guineas cup gotcha the american syndicate take it back to america with them they get to keep it sure and so they have it and it's worth a lot of money and it's quite prestigious but they're all going what do we do with this trophy you know it's like if five mates of you all share a trophy you're not all living together 
So, you know, who's had, they've sort of got like yeah. a, ro- a custody roster. They're partying <laughs> it around. Some of the members start to die off, you know, they're old men, uh, you know. So it's sort of like, what are we going to do with this? George Shuler is one of the syndicate. He's talking to them about what do we do with this trophy? And someone says, well, we should melt it down and make it into medals each, just commemorate our 1851 victory Jeez. against the British. And he goes, I don't really like that idea. And him and Stevens, who'd been the Commodore, they'd been talking about why don't we donate it to the New York Yacht Club as a trophy that international competitors can challenge for. Right. And it becomes an ongoing thing to promote international race yacht racing. And they go, Good idea. That's a good idea. So they decide to give the cup to the New York Yacht Club on June eighth. 1857, so it's six years after they've won this cup. Are they members of this club? Yeah, they're all the founding fathers They're the founding members, so it's a good idea. It's keeping it in-house. It's just part of the – it's now a chattel. So they say, well, we'll give it to you as the New York Yacht Club won't own the trophy. They'll be the custodians, the trustees of the cup until someone else wins it. Then they will become the trustees of it. That's the idea, right? So any recognised yacht club can challenge. Yes. The New York Yacht Club defends it. Until someone else wins it, then they become a challenger. That's the way it works. They decide to rename the cup after the boat that won it. Is that right? I was wondering. And that's how it becomes the America's Cup. It's named after the ship, not the country, or even though the ship's named after the country. So suddenly they go, here's this thing called the America's Cup. The transaction's formalised with a thing that becomes important, which is called a deed of gift. And what it does, it's actually registered with the New York Supreme Court. It becomes known as the deed. It lays out the terms and conditions that have to be met in order to challenge and race for the trophy. George Shiler drafts them. It's 374 words. It becomes very important later because every legal challenge to the America's Cup goes back to this deed. So what (laughs) we've got at the end of all of this is a trophy called the America's Cup that is sitting there waiting to be challenged with rules around how to challenge for it, held by the New York Yacht Club. We've established it. The only problem we then have is by this time that this is all done, 1857 it's given, they write to every major yacht club in the world and say, this is a new competition. If you want to challenge, come challenge. The only problem we have is the United States is on the cusp of civil war. Civil war breaks out. All the ships that are for racing or anything are basically bought by the Confederates or the Union to enforce the blockade. And by the end of the Civil War, finishes in 1965, the America's Cup is completely forgotten. No one is thinking of yacht racing. No one remembers that before the war this is being set up. And so when we come back in the next episode, something happens to make the America's Cup suddenly come back to the forefront of everyone's minds. And we're up and running. We've got the groundwork. We're good to go. This is fantastic. I am excited. I feel like we're uh, on the cusp of a very exciting episode. Good on you, Titus. Thank you. If you enjoy Sports Bazaar, here's a little snippet of our extra members-only program. Barry FC, they have a mascot called Robbie the Bobby. and he a was, policeman. Yeah, he's a policeman. Robert Peel, who invented the police force in London, yeah. he was their most famous Local. Local. So he set a record in 2001, the mascot Robbie the Bobby, when in one month he was sent off three times. (laughs) The first was for mooning Stoke City fans. He's dressed as a policeman. He's a policeman. Robbie, you're a Bobby. (laughs) 
the second time was for fighting with Cardiff mascot Bartley the Bluebird when he had to be restrained by 12 stewards. Dressed as a copper. Dressed as a copper. So there's 12 stewards fighting a man dressed in the thing. The man inside the suit, local plumber and amateur boxer Jonathan Pollard, said after the fight, I think I broke his nose and I'm sure he lost a tooth or two. So obviously I'm showing a lot of remorse. The no. third time he got sent off was for ripping the ears off the Peterborough bunny. <laughs> the ears were begging for it. They would have been big ears. <laughs> The club said at one point, he is good for the club and he is good for the crowd, but once he gets his suit on, it goes to his head and some of the (laughs) things he does make you cringe. Fantastic. Robbie the Bobby. (laughs) What a reign of terror. If you enjoyed that, simply go to the link in the show notes to sign up to become a member.